This week on the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. Yeah, I've had a couple times where I've had like the Stormtrooper squad caught in the open. And I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a podcast focused on tactics and competitive play for Star Wars Legion. Hosted by Kyle Dornboss, Michael Barry, and David Zelenka, with Jay Shalansky, the man behind the glass. Hello and welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. My name is David, and I'm joined today by Kyle and Jay from the Fifth Trooper. Mike, unfortunately, cannot make it this week, so we'll uh, have to give him a miss, and he'll be back next week. Um, so what's up, Kyle and Jay? How's it going? It's going well. Yeah, really good. Glad yeah. to be on. <laughs> yeah, welcome, welcome to the- Welcome, Jay. <laughs> Why, thank you. I always have to just listen to you guys. This is fun to actually participate. Yeah, well, welcome back to the other side of the glass. We're glad to have you here to uh, maintain the trinity of hosts for our show. The trinity must maintain. So now, uh, before we get uh, into the show topics, we've got to do a little housekeeping, or I shouldn't say a little, a lot of housekeeping. Um, Jay, why don't you talk about the Northeast Open? This is an event that uh, the Fifth Trooper is putting on at the Syracuse uh, Comic Con. Is it Salt City Comic Con, I think? Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, Syracuse is known for our salt, so that'll be good for a lot of the community to come up here. Uh, and so we, uh, yeah, we're we're putting on a huge event. So you know, the plan is not only to have a tournament, but also we want to do some other you know side events at this thing. Like we want to do demos. We're going to give out like cool prize prizes slash giveaways to new people who come and demo the game uh, while we're also doing this tournament. So we're really not only just doing the Legion tournament for everybody that's listening to us now that of course would come and, and want to compete, but we're also doing it as like almost like an awareness campaign for the game uh, leading into Attack of the Clones. Sounds you awesome. mean the Clone Wars, right? The Clone Wars box set release? Which the clones will be attacking, right? So. Oh, yeah. They'll be attacking with two face of order tokens. <laughs> At least so, I'm pretty sure that's how that works. So, so yeah. So, Attack of the Clones. That's what, that's what we're calling the Clone Wars release now. Attack of the Clones? Attack of the Clones. I dig it. Um, well, not to be completely biased towards one side of the, uh, the conflict. I mean, after all, there are heroes on both sides. It says so in the opening crawl. There, <laughs> yeah, there are. However, I mean, that is the name of the second movie literally right yeah yeah of course you're right about that well and and listen i i i I understand that it's the clone wars but i mean there was a movie before there was a cartoon right so let's come on guys let's stay in canon just kidding i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) the cartoon is canon (laughs) it it Um, is but yeah, so anyway, so it's going to be great. We're going to have a huge tournament. It's actually going to be a, a two-day tournament. So we can, you know, I, I don't want to give away too much, but we're going to hopefully do it right. Hopefully not exhaust everybody at the same time. Um, and I'm very excited about it. Registration is up. Uh, you can go to thefifthtrooper.com. You'll see a link in our in our menu bar called Northeast Open. Um, and you can just pop up in there and registration's there. So you got to get, uh, we, we have a combo, uh, tournament and con tickets. So you do have to get, you know, a weekend pass for the, for the convention to get in, but it'll be worth it. 
the convention is just going to be ridiculous. Uh, I mean, it's a full comic book convention. Like Ernie Hudson from the Ghostbusters is going to be there. Like all these other comic book artists and 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 writers are going to be there. There's going to be like a full on carnival in the parking lot with like a Ferris wheel. There's going to be fireworks. Um, it's half in like a convention hotel and half in a mall. Uh, this big mall we have in Syracuse called Destiny USA. And so for those of you, if you're coming with your family or coming with friends and they don't play Legion, there's literally like four or five arcades in this mall. There's a bowling alley. There's like all these food and shopping and an IMAX theater, plus the convention, you know, plus we have a local baseball team. Um, they're the, they're the sub team for the Mets. So They'll be, they have games going on all weekend. So there's literally hundreds of things you could be doing. Uh, your friends or family could be doing while you're playing Legion. And then hopefully in between the games and after the games, you'll get to partake in all the fun as well. So what I'm getting is plenty of room for your significant others and family, general just family to come to Destiny USA slash Salt City Comic Con and just have a ton of fun generally. And you can come play in an awesome Legion event at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, you know, for a lot of us who have been to a lot of these conventions, sometimes they're sequestered away from, you know, anything anyone else would want to do. And this one is very much like right in the middle of things that other people would want to do. And so you could very easily bring your family or a significant other. And while you're playing, they would have no problem finding things to do within a five minute walk from where we're playing Legion. That's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, really exciting. Um, we're hoping, and you guys know this, but for those of you that have been to Adepticon or LVO or watched our live stream and really enjoyed it, we're hoping to bring that same level of professionalism that LJ and Brendan have been have been really putting on at all these events. And we hope to continue that moving forward and just really make this the, the biggest Star Wars Legion event in the Northeast. So that's yeah, that's Brendan. Brendan and LJ have really set the standard, I think, for the community as a whole, and it is the, the bar is high, and um, you know from what I from what I can tell, uh, everything is on track to meet that bar and possibly exceed it. I don't want to make I don't want to promise too much <laughs> in your stead, but um, I'm you know I'm I'm a I'm pretty convinced that that it's going to be an amazing event, and I will be there. Um, Kyle will be there. Uh, Mike will be there. So we'll. We'll basically all be there, and we want you to be there too. <laughs> and we want you to be there too. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, really, hats off to LJ and Brendan. They really set the template for us in every event moving forward, right? And so I think we're all just really living in their shadow at this point, and hopefully, we can yeah. we can live up um, to what they've accomplished because. They they really have, I I think, set this community and set this game up to succeed through these through these events um, by the way that they've conducted themselves and set up these events. Yep, totally agree. So, anyways, that's my whole spiel. Uh, that's it's going to be July sixth and seventh. Uh, nice little Fourth of July weekend getaway 
there's tons of fireworks in Syracuse. So if you got family and they want to see that, that's going to be there. So come on out, you know, uh, uh, check it out, bring your Legion stuff. A ton of great players are going to be there. Ton of great people are going to be there. And uh, I think, I think it's going to be just a ton of fun. And so again, visit the fifth trooper.com. You'll see Northeast open on the top menu, click on that and you'll register and you'll be all set. Well, that promises to be an absolute blast, and I am so looking forward to it in a, in a couple months here, uh, coming for, going forward there. Yeah, thanks awesome. for letting me do my little spiel. <laughs> of course, my pleasure. And then um, before uh, before July, uh, May occurs, May occurs before July, I have no good segue for this. Um, so uh, there's an event in San Francisco area, uh, specifically Burlingame, called KublaCon. It's one of our big miniatures conventions out here in the San Francisco area. And I am helping organize a Legion tournament at KublaCon on May 25th and 26th. It is called Legion by the Bay. However, if you're just hearing about it for the first time, it is now officially sold out. So yay that it's sold out. Also boo, because now you have to get on a wait list. Um, so if you're still interested in coming and getting on that wait list, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to search on Facebook for Star Wars Legion at KublaCon 2019. Or you can go to the Yavin Base Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash and click on the panel link. There's going to be an image that says Legion by the Bay there. It'll take you to a Google form to sign up for the wait list for the event. It's a two-day event. It's part of KublaCon, much in the same way that um, the Northeast Open is part of the Salt City Comic Con, uh, kind of, you know, an element of of a larger event. And uh, their prizes are sweet. There's going to be fully painted land speeder and tank on offer for the best in faction. There's all kinds of really great details that you can find on the Facebook page for this event. So Facebook Legion by the Bay or Star Wars Legion at KublaCon 2019 and hit up that page to find out more. And I'm hopefully going to be able to provide some kind of coverage for that. Um, we're still working all out all the details. We're, we've got all our prizes now in order and all our ducks in a row and we've sold out. And so it's, it's, looking, to, it's looking to be a really fun event coming up here. And I wanted to make sure that everybody who listens to the podcast knew about that and how they could get still be involved because we are sold out at this point. And we also have uh, dun, 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 the return of the Yavin Base blog. Um, so for those of you who followed me for a while, I haven't written an article in three months. And actually, officially three months today, it's been 90 days since I last published. And so that's coming back online. And I will be returning to full status with a new domain, yavinbase.blog. And we'll be publishing articles anew as we did before I had to take the break. A lot of things happened in the last few months, you know uh lvo adepticon a very important podcast um, that you're part of yeah very, <laughs> exactly very important podcast i'm part of exactly <laughs> so the things things that have kind of pulled me away from the article writing and um uh you'll find out all about those intervening months when we uh come back it's going to be the 26th of april will be the the newest article drop on the new domain yavinbase.blog so you can go check that out when it is when it is time to do so. If I could just take a second, because both of you and Mike as well, uh, just kudos to you guys for supporting a blog because, you know, for anyone out there who hasn't tried to write a blog, it is really, really difficult, A, to, to come up with these ideas and write it, but then B, you know, to to stay with it and and to, you know, to be successful with it. So, you know, I know you're revamping your blog and I I just want to say congratulations, you know, one for revamping, but two for just like 
sticking with this thing that's so um, daunting sometimes, like writing is is a very um, expressive and, and emotional thing sometimes, and it can it can really drain you. So I'm just I'm proud of you, buddy. Thanks. I mean, I'm sure Kyle, the same for you, man. I'm actually kind of envious. I think your your blog is extremely good and and I think it's definitely worth this never tell me the odds. It's SWLegionodds.com. Is that the right one? I'm gonna answer for Kyle. Yes, it is the right one. Yes, okay. I don't know if Kyle I don't know. I didn't see if Kyle wandered away for a second. That's okay. Um no, no problem. So so yeah, I mean he he writes at SWLegionodds.com and um, you know, we're both we're both super enthusiastic about the subject matter. I mean, he's got a more math focused approach and I've got sort of a more like, you know, rebel rebel faction focused approach. Um, but I was going to say, Jay, that you're, you're absolutely right. It is, it is difficult. And uh, it's also a little anxiety producing um, in yeah. the sense that you have to really watch what you say. Yeah. And you also have to be very exact in your speech uh, by speech. I mean, of course the voice you use when writing, I mean, people tend to write in a voice obviously. Yeah. So. Um, no, I would agree with that too. And I think, uh, unlike, you know, the spoken word, like on our podcast, I think we can get away with a little bit more when we're speaking because it's like, oh, these guys are kind of just talking and talking off the cuff and formulating ideas while they're speaking. But when you're, when you're writing something, I think the expectation is a little bit higher for writers, right? It's like that you put this thought in, um, this blood, sweat, and tears into this this piece of writing, and so it, it, I think as a writer, it becomes even more daunting uh, when you go to 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 put it out. So, just kudos to you for for, for even you. attempting it. Yeah, expressions in print, like you say, they gain a lot more gravitas when when you see them in the in printed word. You know, a lot more than just you know speech or something just on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's just the nature of reading and writing and our history as humans, right? Like that's, that's kind of our oldest way of spreading knowledge. And so I think you, know, you never thought you would learn about the history of writing on, <laughs> on the Notorious Scholars podcast, but here we are. Yeah, well, so I, I'll just full disclosure. I just got back from uh, Disney World and I, I was at Epcot and I, I did Spaceship Earth. So that, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> no, I've been I've been on Spaceship Earth too. Those those animatronics are something yeah, else. Man. Yeah, that whole thing is about writing. So maybe I'm a little hyped. <laughs> <laughs> because of yeah, that, you, know, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way before, but now that you mention it, yeah, they really, they really did put the emphasis on the written word in all the exhibits in that show. Well, and I, I think, you know, I'm sorry not to segue us, but I, I really think it's important, especially for this community to tie it back to our community, is it's a way to not only attract new players and to get people interested in this game that you know, the listeners that we have right now already love so much, but it's, it's also a way to keep us all connected in the game as well and interested in the game. And, and I think stuff like your, you know, the both, both you, Kyle and, and Mike's blogs and all these, and, and, you know, guys like uh, Kev, Kevin Vallier, like all these written blogs and posts that people are putting up are, are what's really driving this community in a positive way to keep us all interconnected and, and interested. Yeah, I think you're so right about that, Jay. You know, my my first entry kind of into the blogging, I mean, sort of universe, just in terms of like wargaming blogging was was reading written battle reports. And that was sort of my bread and butter for the first few, for the first few posts, I would do like, you know, a battle report every week or so. And 
those written battle reports, I think a lot of folks, um, you know, I think some feel a lot of folks are even more attuned to that than sort of the video battle reports you might see on YouTube. You can have like full length battle reports where they capture every moment of the action that are like, you know, of course, the full length of the game, like two and a half hours long. And so that's a bit of a slog to sit through that. And none of it's like, you know, chapterized. None of it is, you know, made so you can click and see, you know, turn four, turn five, you can skip turns or whatever. Um, and then there's the kind of video battle report where you have the the um, filler, I guess, cut out and you're only focusing on the the specific moments in the turn that are critical to the game. And you have to sort of rebuild the narrative for the folks at home while you are playing the game. And then when you go to film, you sort of have to tell the story over again and um, and try to you know get, catch them up with you. But then um, uh, folks connect with written battle reports, I think even more than either of those, just because it's all just, it's all just there and it's all present and upfront. And there's, there's no waiting. You can dig into the meat of the story of the game right away at your own pace. And that is definitely something that, that blogs have to contribute apart from just straight up like here's an article on how not to suck with rebels you know there's a whole nother like storytelling element that goes into the the blog aspect of it and and as you say it's about building community well how do you build community right you share stories yeah right oh this happened to me in a game this this was great that happened to me yeah i would agree with that 100 percent. and i think the other community build part of that too is to be able to read and disseminate that information more easily because you know, not not to encourage this, but but not to copy your whole blog, but people can share that or like copy like a couple sentences and be like, oh, I saw this on the Yavin blog, like check this out. And it's just a, a, a just a, a quicker way to kind of disseminate that information uh, versus, oh, yeah, I was in this video at like 20, se- 20 minutes and 30 seconds or some weird timestamp, you know. Right, exactly. You can just post a quotation or you can just like, you know, point to an individual moment. And that is definitely something that that, that is, you know, much more versatile about the written form of battle reporting than say the the, the video form. Yeah. So, so now that we went on a whole diatribe about how written is better than a, a video. Let's yeah. let's let's do an audio podcast. <laughs> Yeah, let's do an audio podcast. Well, yeah. Well that's because you know again, it's just, you know, strategy and some people like, you know, it's 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 easier to listen to a, a podcast in your car than it is to read an article on your phone. Please don't do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Please don't do well, that. I think the other th- do not handle your phone while driving ever. And well, and the other thing is too, we all learn at different different ways, right? Like there was always that thing in school. I remember like some people are visual learners, some people are auditory learners, some people need to read it, some people need to do it, right? And so I think right. just having all these different options for everyone out there in the community is just great because we're not excluding anyone. Um, so they can listen, they can watch a video, they can they can read about it on your blog. Like there's just all this opportunity to gain knowledge and to just better appreciate this game and and become better at it. So speaking of learning, let's move on to our listener question segment. Um, we had a listener question. Someone asked us about deployment strategy and what are some best practices for deployment strategy in Star Wars Legion. Kyle, I'd like to invite you to initiate this discussion. Sure. Um, so this is a very broad topic and it's highly situational. So we're definitely not going to cover, you know, every possible like setup combination. Um, you know, it depends on how many activations you have, how many activations your opponent has, what scenario, condition, objective, 
deployment you're playing. Um, but there are definitely like some general guidelines that we could talk about. You know, sort of the core, there, there's kind of like two core concepts when you're looking at deploying. The first is giving away information or essentially like showing your hand to your opponent, which you want to wait to do until as late as possible. Um, and the second, which is related, is that there are certain units that require counter deployment. Um, and you want to hold uh, those units until after, ideally, your opponent has deployed whatever unit it is that they're countering, if that makes sense. So, for example, if your opponent has a unit of Pathfinders and you have more activations than them, you know, you might have a unit of like Recon Snowtroopers or Luke uh, or something like that that's in a position to counter deploy those Pathfinders and you want to hold that unit until after they deploy. Um, a good rule of thumb that I like to follow, generally speaking, is that you want to deploy hot, like the higher impact the unit is, typically the, the later you want to deploy it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And so, so like, for example, you give away, like you say, you give away less information. Right. So what would, what, okay, what constitutes a higher impact uh, unit for people out there listening? Um, I mean, there are obvious examples like Luke and Boba Fett, mm -hmm. right? Those are very high impact units. The um, ATST, the ATST, uh, for sure. Now, there's, there, I guess, there's really there's two types of high impact units. There's ones where, um, you know, they're mobile and they're they're counter deployment units. Um, they're units where their positioning on the board is both variable, you know, at the start and also very important. Um, there's also units like Palpatine or arguably an ATST, where like almost before either of you put anything down, you probably know where that unit is going to go. Um, and if that's the case, then you can you know don't be afraid to throw them down early. Like if if you're playing you know a Palpatine list and you've thrown down like three or four trooper units already in one spot, um, you know don't be afraid to drop Palpatine there. Like both of you know that he's going there, you might as well just put him there. <laughs> And save your later deployments for things like snipers and IRG in that situation. Right, because um, right, right, because what you're saying is that there's some units that are so high impact that it's there's a clear destination for them or a clear kind of strategy behind that unit and how with the particular setup you're going to be using that unit. So everyone's aware of where it's going to go. So it, it doesn't you're not giving anything away by just being like, okay, yeah, he's going there. Right. This, this is especially true for like solo commanders where they don't. So uh, commanders like Leia or Veers where they have a bombard are a little bit of a different story. But for someone like Palpatine or Vader, um, you know, the, the primary thing that's important for them is that they're close to the objectives and they're close to your troops. So if you've already thrown down your troops and obviously the objectives are on the table, like it's they're a high impact unit, but it's not a mystery where they're going to go. Um, whereas units like Luke or Boba Fett and Pathfinders can operate a little bit more independently and sort of respond to what units your opponent puts down and where. So there's a lot more variability in where those units are going to end up. And it, it also, you know, matters significantly where they are. So, um, but yeah, that's a good rule of thumb. Generally speaking is like the more high impact the unit is, the later you want to wait to put it down. I, I gotta agree with you. I've been playing Lane Speeder lately. The new the X thirty four. I've been playing it on on online, and 
there is definitely a lot of merit to what you just said when playing this unit because it is very um, positional, right? It's highly, highly, you know, sorry, not highly regarded. Um, it's highly sensitive to um, the position of the enemy's troops, mainly because you're trying to keep it from being shot by everything <laughs> as much as you can. Um, the land speeder, it's it's durable enough to resist, you know, a few attacks here and there, but not durable enough to withstand, you know, sustained fire from a good chunk of your opponent's army. And, you know, Pathfinders generally follow similar rules. Like all the fragile units, especially fragile expensive units, definitely want to go last because they are the most in danger, right? They're the highest risk units you're taking, but they can also be the highest reward. For example, you know, put a, putting a land speeder on the flank away from your opponent's most threatening units now that you know where they're going to now that we're going to drop you're now able to just fly around them and and just avoid them for the rest of the game because you're so mobile you know like you wouldn't want to deploy a land speeder directly opposite impact snows you know that's just that's just all bad those snows kill everything the land speeder is about which is the heavy cover pilot and the armor on it um yeah so definitely like in terms of deploying your high impact units last Definitely something to consider when you take heavies. You know, any any sort of unit that's a high risk, high reward unit definitely wants to go last, and that definitely plays into the too much information too quickly idea. You know, if you if you deploy it first, your opponent knows exactly where it's going to go, and they know exactly where to put those things that counter it. So, so let me ask you this: This is just a question. Um, now, this is this with we're going to have four factions soon, but right now for the two factions we have, it's it's it can be faction specific too because if you have like a pretty heavy hitting list uh, or or something you know a, a list where you're not as afraid of of deleting units as quickly, you could almost deploy in a way that makes your opponent kind of have to figure out or or counter your deployment. And that that may almost be a positive as well, right? Where you're kind of dictating the strategy of the game by your deployments. Yeah, I think this is especially true on certain combinations like battle lines and intercept. Um, you know, like in that situation, you've got three objectives, and there's no clear "quote unquote" safe objective, at least until either of you start deploying units. Um, you know, if you've got like intercept on major offensive, it's pretty clear that two of those intercept points are going to be quote unquote safe, one for each of you, and the center one is going to be contested. But on battle lines, uh, you know, there's no like depending on where you throw your guys, it could be all three of them are potentially contested. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a situation where like over the course of deployment, um, you kind of have to like really adjust. To what your opponent's doing and and watch them carefully and keep track I agree of those as high well. units. I agree as well with this array because with this array you're sort of bidding for zones. You know who's going to put you know ten units in one zone or who's going to put five units in one zone or you're kind of like how to say it, like it, the the situation evolves right mm -hmm. as the deployment goes on. Your your information level is changing and your opponent's level of commitment to a particular side of the board is changing. And so you have to be just be aware of what's left and don't be afraid to ask your opponent, like what, what do you have left to deploy? You know, it's very easy just to ask because that's open information. Mm -hmm. And I would say, uh, you know, I guess this is more for beginners, but we'll just, we'll pop it in here really quick. 
But I think a lot of times uh, you, you, as a beginner, when you're deploying, sometimes you can start to question your strategy based on what your opponent's doing. And so I, I just like to hear what you guys have to say about sticking to your strategy if you feel like it was correct, even though maybe your opponent's deploying in a confusing manner or, or you know, maybe or something you didn't see coming uh, versus adapting uh, to what your opponent's doing um, in the deployment phase. That's a real toughie. You know, because there's sort of like, uh, um, shoot, I had an answer for you, but I'm, I've lost the thread suddenly. Um, so I guess you're you're in a dilemma, right? Because on the one hand, you had a plan and you want to stick to your plan and and do your plan. Um, but on the other hand, you shouldn't. If you see that it's not going to work, you shouldn't be too married to your ideas. Um, it's funny, Jay. There's a saying when you when you uh, write. <laughs> A fiction kill your darlings <laughs> and so there's a you know maybe the idea that you're really in love with or married to is actually horrible yeah and you might have a blind spot about it and so um i, I mean trial and error is the is going to be the judge here like that's one of those things that like having gone through the crucible of practice will tell you you know what to do but ad hoc um I'd say stick with your game plan more more than anything because you came in having a plan and you need to execute it and if you if you end up losing so be it mm -hmm. at least you followed through on what you were trying to do. Yeah, and I would say it's it's variable on your list, right? Because for instance, like a list that I've played for a long time is is that 12 activations veers list and it's that's more of a I know what it does and I know what it needs to do and I can't with that list in particular, I can't really counter um, deploy against my opponent. I, I need to just set up my fire lanes and be ready for them uh, to enforce them into the position I want them in versus trying to adapt to whatever they're doing deployment wise. Yeah. And that's a great example about like how list dependent deployment is. If you have a list like that, that's not very mobile and you have just one commander, you know, you definitely need to look at the terrain and look at the objectives and decide basically before you even put any units down, like where the fight's going to be and where you want to force the fight to be, right? Because you're going to have to have all your units close to each other, supporting each other, and they're not going to be able to move very much. Whereas if you have, you know, like a, a Luke Leia Wonder Twins list, um, you have the flexibility, if necessary, uh, to potentially split up, you know, send Luke and some dudes and Leia and some dudes in separate directions if you need to. Um, and you have a little bit more flexibility to kind of like adapt to changing conditions. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make one list better than another in that regard, but you just have to be aware of, you know, like how your list interacts with the objectives and with the various setups. This goes a lot into like which battle cards you should cut also. Mm -hmm. Um, we've talked quite a bit about this in the past, but, um, you know, like if you have a one commander list, you should probably be cutting disarray. Um, you know, if you have a list that's got a lot of snipers and a bombardment in it, you should probably be cutting limited vis. Like these are, um, you know, there's some some like super quick and easy rules of, of thumb about which ones you should cut. Um, you should, I, I believe that nobody should be cutting sabotage. 
Um, we've said Agreed. this before. Yeah. But yeah, so, it's one of the most neutral objectives possible. Well, it's one of the. It's really the only objective that starts as defensive for blue player by default. Oh, that's also true. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, if and and uh, we've talked also before a little bit uh, about like how to set up a situation where you're you're fighting defensively, which is generally advantageous, um, and that's super easy to do at moisture evaporators because the status quo is as blue player, you're on defense, right? Like if if nobody rolls any dice. Uh, for the rest of the game and interacts with any objectives um, or suppose you each interact with you know your own home objective um, then it's going to be an objective tie and blue wins on points and if no units are dead that you know that uh, point scores zero zero and blue wins ties so um, you know it's essentially it means like like if neither of you do anything on moisture evaporators blue wins right so um, the pressure is on red and you can yeah. see this a little bit uh, this happened basically in my game with r1 um, at adepticon like i got blue as with moisture evaporators on sabotage um, and he was in a situation where like if he couldn't eliminate one of my units he had to push one of my evaporators basically so um, it's not nearly as bad as like the old key positions was because you know in the old key positions blue player would start up on like actual victory points um but you know you're up you're essentially up on tiebreakers as blue player on moisture evaporators i i feel like and maybe i'm wrong so you guys can shoot me down here but like i feel like if if you have a, a list like i think there are some lists kind of like wonder twins that are very versatile so you could have multiple strategies and still come out on top but I, I think there's maybe one or two lists that are really that versatile. And most lists are kind of, they have a theme and and uh, a kind of setup that they need to thrive. And I almost feel like mo like if you look at your objectives list and you look at your, in your, or your objective cards and you look at your list, that most of those objectives are going to fit in to the style that you need to play in order to be successful with your list. And so really what it comes down to when deploying is more of where you're going to put your army in the terrain and battlefield that's given to you. But but you don't want to change your inherent strategy of the list just because the deploy, you know, because of the deployment and um, terrain. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong there. Well, it depends on your setup too, right? Like we talk a lot about Invader League. Um, the format for Invader League Round Robin is you can change your list every game and you know which map you're going to play on in advance of your game. Um, so it's fairly common for people to, you know, look at the map that they're going to play on and then, you know, they'll be like, this map is open or this map is, is dense or this map, you know, a particular side is better so it favors blue player and they'll essentially tailor their list like literally to the map. Um, now if you're showing up to most conventional tournaments at your local store or at like a gaming convention, obviously you're not going to have that luxury because you're not going to have any idea what the terrain looks like or, or, you know, what tables you're going to play on. We can um, get to a funny story about tailoring your list to the map later. Okay. Now that you brought it up. Oh, uh, Rambler. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's a little ways down we'll, the show. We'll save notes, that one for yeah. later. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, nope. It happens. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was it was a it was a good try. Yeah. All right, go on. Um yeah, sometimes that's a bad idea. Um but uh yeah, I mean the most important thing really is that Elizabeth be tailored this is going way down the rabbit hole, but Elizabeth be tailored to your play style first and foremost. Um, yeah, I mean there's there's two levels here, right? There's like do do you or three levels, gosh. Do you play the list well? Is the list coherent and um, are you putting the units where they can be the most successful, right? These three things kind of have to work in concert. And that all goes into how you analyze the battlefield and how you actually choose your board edge and choose your deployment zone and everything like that, you know? So those things have to be working in concert. And that, that definitely just requires the kind of depth of understanding that you gain through experience. Yeah, that's why deployment is such it's a tall order. Topic. <laughs> It's just because it's it's so dependent on so many different factors. Yeah, we hope we hope though that we haven't just confused the heck out of you and we've given you you audience a uh, something to work with. You know, it's a very deep subject. Well, could you? I mean, maybe this is oversimplifying it, but couldn't you break it down into just like a couple different scenarios? Like one would be, I I know what my list can do, and I'm good with my list, and it does one thing. So when I deploy, I need to make sure that I'm setting up for that thing. So so for me, with my list, it's fire lanes, right? Keeping my army cohesive, keeping it together and setting up fire lanes, no matter what the battlefield or objective is, that's how I'm going to be successful. Now with Wonder Twins, now number two is a more versatile list that can adjust to the surroundings. And so you have a more open kind of deployment type that you can can go to um with counter counter deploying or or you know or maybe being the aggressor during a deployment and then maybe number three is um being a little bit being very aggressive with your deployment and being like this is what i'm doing you have to come stop me now yeah and you definitely have to think about your list strengths relative to your opponent um you know, Death Troopers, just as an example of a recent unit that's making an impact, um, changes calculus, I think, quite a bit in the Rebel versus Empire matchup because they have a very strong dice pool at range four, um, which, you know, when you factor in a move, is effectively like range five, which is roughly 30 inches. Uh, it's a little bit less than 30 inches, but it's pretty close to it. Um, so when you're deploying, you know, if you're a Rebel player and you're facing someone that has Death Troopers, you have to be really careful about where you're putting your rebel troopers relative to where you think they're going to put their death troopers. Because if they get an open shot or even an in-cover shot uh, on the first turn on a unit of rebel troopers, like there's a very decent chance, um, especially if they have an aim token from somewhere like Veers, um, you know, that they can just straight up wipe a unit off the table at range four. Um you know, so you have to be really conscious of the strengths of your opponent's units when you're deploying, and particularly units that have long range. Um, you know, make sure you're using line of sight blocking terrain. Uh, be aware of things like bombardments, Leia's bombardment and Veers' bombardment um, relative to where you're putting your heavy weapons. Uh, we've talked way in the past about terrain scoping, um, but that's basically where you use an attack um, this is particularly easy to do with unlimited range attacks like the bombardments um, to essentially use terrain so that you can only see the minis that you want to kill. So, for example, if your opponent has like a heavy weapon that's on the edge of one of their units, um, 
you know, it's typically not too hard to like move layer of ears in that situation uh, to essentially hide the rest of the unit with a terrain piece so that you can only see the, the heavy and then you essentially scope the heavy with, with the bombard. So when you're deploying, you obviously want to be following like the fundamentals, like put your heavies in the middle of your units, even if you think they may not be attackable by something. Um, well, so. and and things that I've found uh, from a deployment standpoint too, and actually, David, I was playing you with the the snipers, right? As sometimes, um, it sometimes, especially if you have veers and snipers, um, you don't even put the snipers out <laughs> where anyone can see them. You just hide them behind something, have veers give them aim tokens, and then they can pop out after veers or Leia have done their bombardment. So then you can. You know, so then you can shoot and not worry as much about them getting deleted uh, before they can get their their shot off. Right, and I'm glad I, I'm glad you brought this up because this is actually going to be a great segue to another thing we're we're going to speak about here. But um, yeah, you have to be really cognizant, I think, of the what your opponent has to deal with your to deal with your snipers. Um, I generally deploy my snipers completely hidden these days. Just because, especially if I'm facing Veers, um, you just never know if he's going to choose to drop it on one. But, um, you know, thinking back, it's especially bad against Leia because Leia does have the tools to kill multiple strike teams in, in, a, in a single go. Whereas if you, you know, whereas if you're hiding a model and Veers does max firepower on that sniper model, like you're feeling pretty good. Like, oh, great, great, you killed one sniper model. Fantastic. You know, you feel you feel worse if Veers, you know, dumped max firepower on, say, your airspeeder, <laughs> or dumped it on, you know, some other high value target. An ATRT is a great example of this, like a rotary RT. Like Veers max firepowering a rotary RT for half its health is pretty devastating off the top, like before anything else activates in the turn. That's an ATRT that's on the road to destruction. Um, but you know, bringing it back to deployment, um, yeah, just be aware of your opponent's threats. That's kind of the general gist of, of this topic and whether or not your sniper team is actually in danger of being fully killed off by your opponent's um, bombarding units. And you, I, don't know, I know the game you're talking about where you that double crit on the sniper that had both models visible completely swung the game Yeah, because it turned from a defensive game into an offensive game. Yeah, and, and, and it was my fault for not placing them correctly and it was it was that quick that it just <laughs> it it yep. ended my whole deployment strategy right there and i had to completely yep. shift what i was doing all it took was one dice roll yeah, yeah exactly yeah and actually you know um generally speaking we could talk a whole episode about attrition too but i found more and more like in competitive legion games the first person to lose an activation loses um basically so you know sniper strike teams are great for a lot of reasons but you also have to be really careful with them because it's only two models um and once once one of those models gets killed whether it's from another sniper or from a bombardment or whatever um you know if you don't have medics to bring that second model back like any other unlimited range attack most most likely another sniper team that takes that model out you're suddenly down in activation um so I've found myself, you know, uh, like at Adepticon, I had a, I had two games, um, particularly my game with R1, where I basically lost like the second sniper model in both of my sniper teams almost immediately, like in turn one. 
and they just did nothing the rest of the turn or the game except hide behind line of sight, blocking terrain, and dodge and standby. Um, because if I lost one of those activations, then I was in a position where I was attacking a Palpatine list, <laughs> which um, is just the worst. Yeah, yeah you you don't want to be there. Um, so uh, it's I think I'm I'm in the, coming around to the same, and we'll talk about medics and the sniper war here in a second. But I'm coming around to the same conclusion, David. Um, Mm-hmm. That basically, I just I keep both my sniper models, even as rebels, when you can't feed a aim tokens. Um, I keep them both behind line of sight, blocking terrain initially, and until you know my opponent has used the bombardment and or several, several of their snipers. Um, and that's where improvised orders really shines. Um, another segue to talk about activation control, but um, that yeah, we should talk about we should talk about activation control vis-a-vis snipers soon as well, because that's a very very interesting subject. Yep. But, you know, it allows you to throw them back when you don't want them to go, basically. So, Yeah. Well, speaking of medics and snipers, that's part of our next little segment here, which is talking about medical droids. They're not just for Palpatine. This has kind of been the the new hotness that has swept through competitive Legion circles. Um, there are a lot of valuable targets for Imperial medics, and uh, Rebels are starting to explore medical droids, too. I think... Um, the person that started this whole mess, I'm gonna blame. I'm gonna blame someone who's very well deserves this blame. Daniel Lupo, <laughs> medicking back saboteurs at at Adepticon. That's that's the person I'm gonna pin the blame on. He probably wasn't the first, but that was such good tech that um, Garnanana saw that tech and stole it and put it on snipers. And now I'm now I'm just I'm hooked, man. It's like crack cocaine. Like I want to put a medic team with my snipers all the time. Because it is just so dang useful. Yeah, it's it's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Because I think we all... It's funny how this stuff kind of organically grows. Because I think we all, when the medics first came out, we were thinking about Palpatine or, you know, or or Boba or or these high priority or, or Vader, you know, trying to keep these guys alive. And until, yeah, yeah, I saw Lupo do it and you guys started talking about the, the medics on strike teams. It was like, oh, snap. Right. <laughs> like that's, that's a really, that's a really good use for them. Yeah. It's like super, you know, unobvious until you see it done and you're like, oh my God, it just kind of hits you in the face like, at how good it is. Um, I mean, before we get too much further, like we should kind of clarify what is a medic, right? A medic is a personnel upgrade in a, in a core trooper unit. You pay 18 or 19 points for it, depending on your faction. It's got two charges that can put a wound back on a friendly model or restore a model that died that turn. Um, in this case, we're talking about sniper strike team models that die um, during the turn um, or during the turn before the medic is activated. And then what you do is you just activate that trooper unit with the medic in it bring that sniper team back and voila, you've suddenly got a strike team with three health, you know, through by, via another means. So the net result essentially is that you suddenly have eight wounds with strike teams instead of six, which definitely helps you in the sniper war. Um, in addition to guardian units, which, you know, that's a whole other subject. People were doing that already with IRG. They were like, how do I win the sniper war? Well, I have guardian, but the thing is guardian can't deal with crits but medic restoration can. And so that's what makes this tech really spicy is that medic charges are actually stronger than guardian, but they're timing sensitive. You have to activate the 
uh, medic once the sniper model has been killed. Um, and that makes for interesting problems where if you go with all your core units first, suddenly your medic already activated, they pick off a sniper, you miss the window for restoring that model to the to the board because the, the turn ticks over and your, your opportunity is lost. So that's kind of like the first like use of medics that's like super convincing, at least on the rebel side that I've seen, apart from, you know, the obvious, which is healing the heroes. Um, Sabine is going to be among those good targets pretty soon. Um, I thought about healing Luke and Han initially, but, um, you know, medics are quite an interesting unit. Uh, they present your opponent with some dilemmas. Um, do I, is he going to heal the sniper if, if I kill it, or is he going to heal this heavy as well? Or is he going to heal a hero? There's lots of uses for them. They're extremely versatile. And it's, it's getting to the point now where people are actually deliberately searching for ways to terrain scope the medic <laughs> because medics are actually quite good and uh, denying your opponent, you know, 19 points is just as good as denying them their heavy weapon. So that's kind of how the focus has started to shift here. Yeah. It's interesting too, like as a deterrent, as you mentioned, um, you know, and I was watching that your game with uh, Garnanana where he was sort of restoring those medics. He had two medics. Um, it was a really interesting list actually. He had a couple of medics, three snipers, Krennic and Death Troopers, and Boba Fett. Yeah, it was um, Boba Krennic, yeah. It was fairly light on core. Um, but he just used the medics basically to keep bringing back those snipers after you'd hit them with your own snipers. Um, and it pretty much just rendered your snipers completely ineffective. Yeah, like the and, only way you win that sniper war is if you kill the activation totally. Right. Um, and that and, wasn't happening without Leia. Right. So Yeah, yeah and like you get stuck in that Sorry, sniper no. war even without even without the medics right so now that you got medics oh man i can't even imagine that's that's very complicated yeah it presents an interesting problem right like do you still shoot the snipers if you're only going to kill one model and they're going to bring it back to get rid of the medic charge um i'm i'm still not sure that i've resolved the answer to that question i think i think generally the rule of snipers still mostly applies which is at least for me personally i always like i view them as wound and suppression dealers so obviously opposing snipers are number one priority, but especially if you have, or if they have medics, you know, like you want to focus on just causing as many wounds as possible. So like if you've got a choice of, you know, targeting a stormtrooper squad that's in the open and you can potentially get two wounds on, or, um, you know, targeting uh, a lone sniper that's corner puking that may or may not just get restored by a medic. You know, I think at least right now, my thought is to shoot the, the trooper unit the core unit. Um, yeah. And just try to get them at least suppressed and, and stop them from moving and taking an extra action. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, that suppression is also usually wasted on a sniper team um, when you're shooting them. Yeah. But again, like then are you just conceding the sniper war? Like it, it certainly changes the calculus uh, in a, in a very interesting and different way. And I'm not sure that, the, you know, collectively the competitive community has re resolved quite how to deal with that. Yeah, it's kind of our, our newest like conundrum here is what is the medic's place in all of this? And we've, we've started to see some pretty spicy uses of it. And I think that's great because I think when the, the initial pack dropped, there was some concerns like, are these units that heal actually any good? Like, why shouldn't I just pay for more troops was the question. And I think the answer is that, yeah, they're actually worth their weight in gold because 
the strike team is such a valuable unit for the points. Yeah, it's funny. And you have room. Right. You Well, I mean, I think people are making room. You know, I don't yeah, th- yeah. like a month ago, I don't think I would have said I had a room um, for a medic in a, you know, like in my rebel list. But I think now I would say that I'm making room. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, the scariest thing for me is that you can do Luke Leia with a medic and six Z's and three snipers and call it a day. Yep. Yeah, or you can drop one of them and do two medics and have a big Yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty tough. It's pretty but, tough. Yeah. Um it's funny too, because like I mean, you know, the specialist pack has been around since January. So it was there for LVO and it was out for in you know, almost two months uh before Adepticon. And this is just something that people are now like warming to the idea of. It's kind of funny how that develops. Diamond in the rough, previously undiscovered. Yep. Yeah, there it is suddenly it it really i mean it really is because like wasn't it like early on with the e-webs too like I, I mean i know i was a little down on e-webs in the beginning and i was like i don't know these you know and no one was really doing them and then all of a sudden it was like oh i get how these work and and now now i now i don't think i'll ever build a list again without e-webs like i love <laughs> i love the e-webs now you know but i it's just one of those funny things with this game as it continues to grow and these more units come out, it's just these little intricacy lists of, Oh, somebody just came up with this idea. Like, Oh, I'm going to heal saboteurs. Uh, Oh, he healed saboteurs. That'd be a really good idea for snipers. And it just like keeps growing and it's man. I, I love it how that stuff happens and how at first some of us don't even see it. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh yeah, that makes total sense. I wish I had seen that. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I think, I think part of the reason that this is happening now is not just because of Lupo, um, but also because people like Adepticon really highlighted how important sniper teams are for a variety of purposes, but particularly for attrition advantage and also for creating a defensive situation for yourself. Um, you know, because if you have like sniper teams are all about activation advantage, not only in terms of padding your own activation count, but also in eliminating your opponent's activations, including uh, their sniper teams. And having taken only two, quote-unquote, only two sniper teams uh, (laughs) to Adepticon, I can say that, like, I wish I had taken three, you know? Um, Like, the Pathfinders were fine. Uh, They were solid in two of my games. They were actually, like, rock stars in, in a third one. Um, and then they were almost completely useless in my game with Kingsley. Um, you know, they, they had a mediocre, like alpha strike role. And then at that point he had three snipers and a bunch of Z sixes and I had two snipers and less Z sixes. Um, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. it was, <laughs> it was just a matter of time. Like, it's just a math problem at that point. Well, isn't that, um, that's like the same thing, like in football, right? Like you want, you want something that is consistently good versus something that's occasionally great. Right. Right. And yep. that's where you want your team to be. That's where you want your units to be. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Now that said, that's not, we're not trying to discount those occasionally great units. Like, I mean, cause if we took this concept to its, you know, sort of the absurd conclusion you know, we should say that no one should be taking, you know, everybody should just take veers and, you know, coordinated fire DLTs and three snipers. You know, yeah. we can we could take the opposite corollary right. here. Twelve activations, like I have. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> See. 
So, I mean, it's definitely an archetype that works just because, like you said, it's a math issue. And heck, I'm actually going to that point, too. I have a couple of lists in the work that don't feature Luke that are pretty scary. Um, you know, Leia MSU is a thing. You can get to 13 activations, 14 activations with Leia by herself and have them actually be quite scary. Do you want to explain what MSU is? Oh, so MSU is a, is a, a wargaming term. It's an abbreviation for multiple small unit. So it's just the idea of like, um, uh, I'm going to use Age of Sigmar as an example. Rather than taking a block of 30 of you know 30 dwarf warriors, you take three units of 10 dwarf warriors because they're all independent actors. So rather than taking, you know, ATRTs with hard points, you're going to take more, just more ATRT bodies and get another activation out of it rather than, you know, qualitying up and saying, I'll take two 85 point RTs instead of taking, you know, three naked RTs. Does that make sense? Yep. Well, and, and I think for me, someone who plays that list is, uh, a list, not that list, but you know what I mean. List like that is that I there's no feel bad when a unit goes down. Like I still feel like, oh no, I got this. Like like this is gonna be fine. Sort of, right? So not not early on, right? Like because what Kyle was talking about with activation control, but later in the game when you drop a unit, you're like, no worries. He wasn't. He was just one little piece of the overall machine here. So we're we're gonna be okay. Yeah, like when you have 36 rebel troopers on the board, like losing two of them to an attack doesn't feel so bad suddenly. Right. Yeah. So if you run if you if you have the the stones to run like six max Z6 units, which actually wouldn't be a bad thing to look at. It's actually something that's on on my chart to look at next is how well that would function. Um I mean they're they're soft, no doubt. They die in droves, but when you've got so many and your opponents like, you know. I'm going to shoot this death trooper attack. You know, I paid a hundred and 130 points for this fully kitted death trooper unit with overwatch and all the trimmings. And, you know, I'm going to shoot the 60 point rebel trooper unit. Oh, I only killed two of them because they were in heavy cover and a dodge. Uh, oops. Now I'm getting shot back by everybody else. <laughs> and they're just farming me for value because I can't kill anywhere close to the number of valuable models as they can kill of mine. Does that make sense? Yep. And speaking of Death Troopers, also an excellent target for medics. Yeah, they are an extremely good target for medics. They're very high-value, uh, single-wound units that contribute a lot of dice to the attack. So uh, they're very, very good medic targets. I mean, I would say I would I would go so far as to say if you're taking Death Troopers, one medic in your list somewhere is mandatory. Just to extract the value and keep them from eating sniper wounds before they get their big shots off, or yeah, for sure. I mean, you know obviously snipers are popular um with a sniper you've got like a little more than a 60 percent chance to push a, a single wound um through heavy cover with an aim token so um you know if your opponent's running two or three sniper teams like every time they take a pot shot at your death troopers there's a really good chance that you're picking up a model so um you don't you really need to have a way to um you know put them back on the table and I, I can say with playing around with some of the Krennic lists with Death Troopers, it's very reasonable to get a medic in there with three snipers and Death Troopers with Krennic. So uh, that is that is a thing to look at. Yeah, that Boba Krennic list that Garn was building was tough. Super tough. It was like, what? It was like three snipers, DLT, Boba Fett with all the trimmings, Krennic. It was hard to play against, man. Good stuff. Doesn't care about suppression. Has compel, you know. 
Yeah, Karnak is um, so good. He's so good. Oh man, we we have to do a whole show on. Did we do a show on Karnak already? No, we, we did a show on Karnak already. Well, we, we did, haven't done a show, but we did yeah, hot yeah. we did hot takes on Karnak. We haven't done uh, like how. Yeah, we haven't done Krennic. like Karnak Karnak in the wild. Yeah, because you know, we haven't seen him there yet. Right. <laughs> you know. That's pretty awesome. Well, and I and from just quick on Krennic, like his, one of his benefits is a similar to Palpatine, where you get the free slot for the Death Troopers. So it's just it's ridiculous and it's good. So look that up. Build a build a list yeah. with that. Yeah, Veer's Veer's boss DTs or not that Veer's the Krennic boss DTs. Let's do that instead. That's hot. You can fit a lot of good stuff in that list. Speaking of list building and using uh, lists that have um, unreleased units in them, I guess that's because we played in the Invader League. <laughs> so I'd like to ask uh, Kyle, how's it going in Group 8 where you are? I see you're 3-0, so I imagine it's going well. Yeah, I mean, we already talked. My first game was was a by the skin of my teeth, seat of my pants kind of game, but um, the other two have been uh, uh, pretty one-sided, so... Um... I guess I'm getting the hang of yours, Bosk. I've I've now I now have officially three games of Empire under my belt. So um, nice. I feel like maybe Just I've, dabbling in the dark side. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like maybe I'm, I'm I've graduated from Empire the tutorial to um like Empire level one. Uh, <laughs> so you're, um, you're earning EXP. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, some maybe I'm gonna start messing around with some other. I feel like Veers Bosk is super easy to play, uh, at least as it relates to my play style. So. Um, I might start messing around with some other stuff. We'll see. I'd like to see you pilot Palpatine and show all the haters what's up. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I learned a lot from R1 uh, over over the course of, of, of weeks and also when I played him. So um, that's definitely on my list. I actually, literally, as we're doing this show, I have assembled uh, a physical Palpatine and, and IRG. So Nice. Um, <laughs> the yeah i am dabbling in the dark side and in plastic dark side um so there's actually there's a tournament at huzzah or local in like early may and i'm strongly considering um you know throwing those palpatine alt arts on the table see what happens can i put in a special request for palp saboteurs (laughs) that does sound fun not gonna lie it's it, it might be a lot of fun but i don't know if it's any good yet but uh you know if if we have an adequate pile like yourself playing the list you know I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll find out whether or not this has any has any teeth i actually think chronic saboteurs is better um yeah because voracious ambition on saboteurs and then follow follow those suppressive bombs up with annihilation looms is pretty nasty yeah that's kind of gross like if you get hit by two suppressive mines and an annihilation looms like over the as the turn ticks over aren't you looking at like five suppression to start the turn on round Round five, yeah, because it's low. It's what four suppression for each of the sab mines plus two from IL on round five. Like that's that's disgusting. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's pretty, gonna it's, cause some panic. It's pretty gross. I definitely want to try that. Um, but you know, if you think about like sabs with Palpatine, um, that list already has two things that are extremely helpful and useful for sabs, which is medics and guardian. Um, so I could see it. At the the problem with Palpatine list generally is there's so few points like around the the margins to work with in the first place um and sab teams are you know if you want to do them properly quote unquote um you you want to put emergency stims on them so that makes them 50 points which is right which is six more points than like a sniper team so 
um, you got to find those 18 points somewhere. And I'm not at the moment, I haven't quite figured out how to do that. Um, but I think it would be fun. Uh, but I definitely want to try Chronix apps. That sounds uh, hilarious at a minimum. <laughs> yeah, at a minimum. And you can actually do, you can do Chronic Death Troopers uh, six core and three sabs in less than 800 points. Um, so that's 11 activations, Chronic Death Troopers with sabs. <laughs> oh, that's so disgusting. I know, right? And they don't care about suppression because you have the compel bubble. Um, yep, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is so gross. I mean, they, they, so there is a qualifier to Chronic List. You do care a little bit about suppression. Like, you can't keep throwing it on turn after turn and, ex and expect your guys not to panic. Yeah. Um, and pro tip, if you're if you're facing a Chronic List, and, um, you know, obviously Chronic only has two courage, so the panic level is four. Um, it's, it's, you know, you probably still want to focus on trying to kill stuff, but if you have some opportunities to split fire... I know we've said in the past, don't split fire. Um, but laying like excessive amounts of suppression, if you have suppressive weapons or something like that on a chronic list is actually somewhat helpful. Or can be it, somewhat Am helpful. I wrong in thinking that the FD with barrage generator is the only suppressive weapon the Rebels have? Uh, no, that's it. That's it? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's definitely... That's an, really unfortunate. It's definitely an Empire thing. Yeah, it's not really our mechanic as Rebels. Yep. Um... What do you guys just want everything? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with just Luke Skywalker and Z6s. Yeah, I'm I'm cool. I'll play that for the next five years. <laughs> God, I like I have I have nightmares of the Z6. Oh my god. Yeah, it's uh I mean, look, it's they're effective, so like we can't complain, we being rebel players. But part of the reason that I've picked up Empire stuff is I'm just kind of like I'm a little bit jelly of the Empire. Um, variety from a competitive perspective um, like competitive rebel lists at least and maybe we're still just thinking too much inside the box but um, generally speaking it's going to be Luke, Leia, Heavy on Core and Snipers um, there are so many more like archetypes that are competitive for Imperials especially with Krennic and Death Troopers coming out and the tank and uh, having played around with the boss on Invader League he's going to be great um, you know, I, I'm 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 quite a bit more optimistic. Let's just say about the variety potential for empire lists in the next few months versus rebel ones. Again, tauntauns. Yeah, uh, tauntauns. They certainly look awesome. I'm. We'll have to see how they're on the table. They they have quite a few advantages over speeder bikes. Generally speaking, um, they don't have quite like the range. Um, but, you know, they're tougher. They, they synergize with trooper-based command cards um, and stuff like that. Uh, but I guess we'll see. But I'm, I'm, my suspicion is that they're going to feel a lot like speeder bikes regardless. Um, you know, they're still weak to snipers. Like, high velocity ignores their dodge tokens they get from Agile. So, <laughs> right. um, and it's, it's really difficult. You know, they're large models. So it uh, looks pretty difficult to get them in heavy cover. So... I have a feeling that they're going to suffer from the same weaknesses that speeder bikes suffer from, but I guess we'll see. Which is just snipers denying their natural cover. Yeah, and just generally, like, you know, when you've got an aggressive mobile piece like that, um, like, they're they're prone to getting caught out in the open away from the rest of your army. Yeah, how do you keep them alive? Right. Yeah. So. Right, the only way to keep them alive is to be too protective of them that they're ineffectual, right? And so it's it becomes a, a hard, hard sell. 
that's like you could you could just roll perfectly and kill what you're engaged with. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, as, yeah, as an empire player, though, like Kyle, to your you know what you're, what you're saying about the empire for me that. Like I always look at the rebels and I'm just like, oh god, I I want to play a rebel list so bad, but I know with my play style and stuff, I'm just I, I'm too aggressive, and so I would get them all murdered so quick. But it's just like I look at all the stuff that you guys get, and I'm like, oh, that's super cool. Like I want a Tauntaun, or oh man, Luke's oh man, Sabine. Like I like I just look at that stuff. I'm like, it's so cool. Or even the air speeder or land speeder too, right? Like they're just cool. But uh, ineffectual when competitive. <laughs> they're cool, but <laughs> they're bad. <laughs> I, hey, hey! I take I take exception to that. I think the land speeder has promise. All right, you want to talk about your briefly yes. about your major league experience there, Mr. Land Speeder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Land Yeah. Okay. So, so um, the land speeders. I played four or five games with it, and I gotta say. It's definitely the most usable uh, heavy unit that I think exists in the game, bar the tank, which is also incredibly usable and kind of gross, and we'll, we'll get to that later. But um, the land speeder, I'm going I'm to write an article about this. I'm actually in the middle of writing an article about it, but the land speeder is fast. It's pretty shooty when you stack it full of upgrades. It's like five-ish five-ish natural hits i think when you have or average hits when you have um all the upgrades installed including the like this is like a rocket gunner mark ii and the rifle guy which is a steal by the way don't don't ever you know never not take the rifle guy always take him because he's like a nine point pathfinder <laughs> that's kind of his shtick um but it's fast, it's shooty. One on one, it blows things away in the same fashion that two speeder bikes would. Uh, plus, it's also sort of durable if you can hide it. And it's also a unit that's good that's not a sniper. <laughs> like, that's kind of been my, my big problem with taking, like, say, Wookiees or with, you know, uh, Pathfinders those sorts of units it's like well it takes a sniper slot so i can't i just can't if i'm trying to be you know as competitive as possible um that is an unfortunate truth but uh, i've taken it in multiple configurations i've taken it with han which is really really cool because han and a land speeder like the not only is the visual amazing because it's pretty much exactly what happened in the solo movie it was han and a land speeder for like the first you know 10 minutes um uh he's also just he benefits from the positional help like if you just speed him towards a point where no one is and he just guns down everything that's out there like he's actually pretty decent when you play him like that but i think the most success that i've had in using the land speeder just as a flanker kind of just ignoring the transport rules playing it as a gun platform rolling the big dice pools i need to inflict damage on imperials with their red saves um it's really fun uh, it does blow up when targeted. Uh, Astromechs do help. Um, the compulsory move is only speed two, and you can try it with the slow down pilot. I don't recommend this for for newer players, but you can try it with the slow down pilot. I think that's Ryder. 
and use the ion gun and the rocketeer and just slow it down, shoot, and then recover. And you'd actually do some pretty decent damage. And if things target it, your uh, R5 Astromax can just stand behind it and heal it up. Um, the compulsory move gives it a lot of economy um, to the point where it actually doesn't care about certain damage tokens. The Landspeeder, once it's like in and shooting people, really doesn't care about the disabled token. It has a compulsory move. And it really doesn't care necessarily even about the damage token because it it has the compulsory move installed already. It, it's kind of like the opposite of the RT, right? Like, um, you know, the Flame RT, just as an example, is significantly hindered by all th all three damage results. Um, so it's, it's nice to have a vehicle that re resilience is less of a factor. Definitely, and plus, like it's even less vulnerable to weapon dis weapon disrupted. They call it weapon disrupted now. It was FAQ'd to be the new that new name because it has three weapon systems, four weapon systems even. So you know they'll slap it on what they'll slap it on the on the Mark II gun because that's the most effective. But it's basically got like three two to three dice weapons all shooting in concert. So weapon disrupted, it doesn't doesn't matter. Whereas you know the RT having the single hard point is massively affected by weapon disrupted. But it's a, it's a really sweet vehicle and it's fast and it can get across the battlefield really quickly. It can shift over when it's done doing its job in one part of the board. It's not just out of the fight because it's too slow. You know, you can just swing it around and do like three speed moves and like, oh shoot, I'm in the center of the board suddenly from the far edge. And uh, you can shoot into objectives you never thought you were going to be able to, to hit. I think I actually had a land speeder doing an intercept point on on the left side of the board actually fly over within the span of two turns and almost kill a strike team on the opposite side of the board. <laughs> like it is super fast when you when you get it up when you get it up there and it's got range four on some of its guns, so it doesn't even need to like go that far to be effective. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's kind of what like you wish the T forty seven was, right? Exactly, exactly. It's what I wish the T forty seven was. Except it's and and I think it's a little bit too expensive still. But yeah, it's still too expensive. Even with the cover pilot, it that brings it up to one hundred eighty five before upgrades. It's just not. It's just not good. <laughs> the Landspeeder fully kitted is one seventy four. By the way, that's with an uplink and the cover pilot and the more expensive guns and like five guns. <laughs> yeah, like five guns. Yeah, so you can really, uh, you can just go nuts with it, man. It's really good. I mean, they had to make it good, right? Like, there's no way they could have another land and or air speeder come out that wasn't good. I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, let's just say this: it would have been very, very disappointing to have another yeah. dud in the heavy department for the rebels. Uh, I'm still not convinced that it's. Uh, I guess we'll see. You shut but, your uh, mouth, Kyle. It's good. Let <laughs> let David have his moment. <laughs> oh no, it's good. It's All good. Right. I'm I'm actually. I'll I'll tell you this much, okay? Yes. When I attached it to a Leia Z6 spam list, sniper spam list, I saw that yeah, you know, if I took these Astromex and this Landspeeder, I could pay for Luke, fully tooled up, instead. But I. I have never liked Luke as a as a unit. It's just not my speed. Blasphemy. Because I like 
I know. <laughs> I like I like the immediacy though of being able to shoot at range three with all of my units. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like even my commander. And I like having a big gun. Finally, I have a big gun. The Z6 is only a big gun sometimes. The Landspeeder is a big gun all the time. It's like one dice short of a Death Trooper when fully when fully uh, engaged. That sounds like the name of a band. One dice short of a Death Trooper. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. A little bit. But no, seriously, like the Rocket Gunner, the Mark II, and the Driver Pistol... Or not driver pistol, but the the A three hundred. You know, that's like what? That's a that's a red. You're basically shooting a death trooper dice pool, which trading one of the reds for a white. Yeah, like the average hits are still there. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and you're paying and you're f- fifty more points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but death troopers. But here's the thing: death troopers uh, lose power when they lose models. Yep. Okay, that's true. And they don't. They can't. Death troopers can't get across the board in one turn. Yeah, it's really fast. Yeah, so... And also, Death Troopers can't transport a hero to an objective that's unguarded. You know, they just can't do that. And actually, it's really fun. I haven't tried it yet. I think Leia is actually the best candidate for the Landspeeder because being in the Landspeeder actually improves her save slightly, and she does need the positional help to get in the fight sometimes. Because usually she's hanging back, spending her actions throwing dodge tokens on people. Yeah, that's that's very true. She's essentially hemorrhaging in action every turn that she could be approaching to do things like take cover. Um, yep, and her pistol's really solid. Yeah, she's the. I think Alex Davy himself said, like, if you go back through the movie, she's the best marksman. Yeah, you know, she's actually every time she shoots in the movie, she hits. Yeah, like in the face. Like she killed. She killed. <laughs> yeah, in the face. Like she killed an ATST pilot by shooting him in the face when he dared peek his head above the cockpit. <laughs> you know. So, so I don't know, man. I love the land speeder. Um, screw the haters. <laughs> Just play it. All right, it's really good. All right, maybe I'll have to give it a shot once I'm done with my dark side. No, devil. no, you got you got a tank. You got a field first, and then and then we'll worry about yeah, a land speeder. <laughs> I actually, I don't, I don't think I'm going to put the tank on the table as empire. I've got like a targeted list of things I want to try as empire, and it's not one oh, of them. No. You have to do it at least once, just just to taste it, just to taste the dark side. I guess we'll see. I got yeah, taste the dark side of a useful heavy. That's right. That's right. (laughs) I need you to put. I needed you to put it across the table for me so I could last first it with my ion gun. There you go. And steal an activation from you. Yeah, that's actually devastating. By the way, that trick with with uplinked ion weapons, that's nuts. Yeah. Like if you play it right, I think if you're gonna do them, that's what you gotta do. Yeah, you got to last first uplink with ions to actually make sure that ion token sticks before the activation, and you just deny the whole activation and prevent them from shooting for a turn. Well, gentlemen, we've been speaking now for an hour and 21 minutes, so I think it's about time to wrap up the show. Uh, before we go, do you have any final thoughts on Dabbling in the Dark Side, Invader League, anything? I know, oh, shoot, I didn't tell my story. Oh, oh well. <laughs> We can, get to, we can, get we can to save later. it for next time. It'll it'll be just we'll save it for next time. It'll be just as funny uh, next time. Uh, just yeah, it will be. It'll never stop. It'll never not be funny. Uh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, kids. <laughs> That's kind of the lesson of that whole game. Anyway, final thoughts, Jay, Mike, or sorry, Jay, Kyle. Good lord. Wow. 
You hear that, Kyle? You're already yep. been replaced. So it's going to be. Yeah, man, you switched, you switched to Empire. You're dead to it's, me, it's me, David, and Mike next episode. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's, it's not a switch. It's just an elaborate ruse to throw people off for worlds. Until <laughs> you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate. Yeah, destiny. until he fields the until he fields the army and figures out how much better it is, and then he's gonna be like, uh, "Oh no, <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't, I can't stop myself." <laughs> I have been, I have been loving the red saves. Yeah. Every t- every time I roll a block on a red dice, it makes me like feel all warm and fuzzy. I can't I can't wait till you have to like you play for a while and then you have to roll a, a white save on like the snipers or something then you're going to oh be gosh. like why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple times where I've had like a stormtrooper squad caught in the open and I'm like, "You know what? I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> God knows you can't do that with rebels. Uh, nope. Oh man. All right. I'm like I got a 50% save, who cares? Yep. <laughs> I do miss my first wall right, well, Z6 dice. I'll say that much. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, must be nice to be able to use aim tokens and fix your offense dice. That's true. I pl- I had a oh my gosh, I, <laughs> I had the I had the grossest coordinated fire in my last Invader League game. It was like, it, yeah, you streamed that one, I think. Um, no, no, no. You should you should talk you talk about it. No, I, it it was just you know, uh, I did the Veers thing. You know, it, it was coordinated fire. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess. Just out of hand. You got, you got a couple aim tokens. <laughs> yeah, it was you know it was a scoring turn on intercept. Uh, I had my gun line set up. I did the Veers thing. It was it was you know it was Magic Christmas yeah. Land basically. Um, I had yeah, Bosk just... at the end of it that I dumped like seven oh, aim tokens no. onto. <laughs> yeah, it turned it turned the enemy list into powdered snow. Oh, yeah, that's pretty much it. what happened. Um. So yeah. Uh, all welcome, right. welcome, to, <laughs> welcome to the it good was, side. It was a fun dark side moment. <laughs> all right well from a certain point of view we'll be back next week yep. <laughs> with more notorious scoundrels so uh for the ns crew my name is david my name is kyle and i'm jay and we'll see you all next time join us next week for another episode of the notorious scoundrels this has been a fifth trooper production <laughs>